Hesedim is a series of reflection, usually reflecting on an issue in the society in the light of the words of scripture. You're welcome to join us each time and to send your questions or comments by way of a voice note. Look forward to hearing you and speaking with you. I'm speaking to you today about pride and humility. Your attitude determines your altitude and depending on whether you are humble or proud will determine how you proceed in life. Wisdom literature in the Bible celebrates the contrast between the vice of pride and the virtue of humility. God rejects the proud but gives grace to the humble is a saying quoted both by 1 Peter and by the epistle of James. This idea is spoken of in the same language both in the books of Psalms and Proverbs in the Old Testament. In the book of Daniel, the contrast is illustrated and personified in the story of the Babylonian emperor King Nebuchadnezzar. There is an account in the story of King Nebuchadnezzar at the height of his power. He had a vision of a big tree touching the sky that could be seen from everywhere with abundant fruits and the animals and birds finding refuge under its branches. And then the voice from heaven orders that the tree be cut down. The vision is about the emperor himself and is fulfilled when the emperor is brought to his knees, brought down from his throne and driven out into the field, insane, and was made to eat grass like an ox. Then when his throne, his sanity was restored and the splendor of his throne, Nebuchadnezzar echoed these words, no, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything God does is right and all God's ways are just. And those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. The life transforming lesson for the emperor is that those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. In the way we as modern people think about these things, matters such as pride and humility are details about which we do not need to be concerned. And yet so much of what determines the quality of governance, the use of power and wealth, so much of what defines the divisions between the economic classes in the society, so much of the conduct of our interpersonal relationships are the stories of pride or humility. Pride is natural. We develop it without thinking about it. Humility, on the other hand, has to be cultivated and nurtured. Humility requires intentional actions and it requires us to curb what are otherwise natural tendencies in our habits 
and personal predilections. Pride is on a continuum. It begins in self-confidence and being satisfied with our own achievements. And then it can harden into self-obsession in which life is driven by and organized around oneself alone as if it is the only thing that matters. And it is entirely and, and absolutely self-serving, self-projecting, self-aggrandizing preoccupation. Nothing else and no one else matters. In that hardened and caricatured expression of the self, nothing else and no one else matters. There is no sense of the other, no sense of duty to the community no compassion or empathy for others and the overriding consideration is what the self wants and what serves the interest of the self this is the stuff that drives greed and ingratitude this is the stuff that propels oppression this is the stuff that cements division and polarization within the community and it is the stuff that makes it impossible to see the other person's point of view. On the other hand, there is the counterconduct, its polar opposite called humility. Humility is nurtured and cultivated. At its most basic, humility is descriptive of the most basic circumstances. It is living life that is unembellished by extras in which there is barely enough to ensure survival. In that regard, the humble person were first thought of as people of humble means and humble circumstances whose access and income and means were most modest. Then humility deepens into an approach to life in which the sense of entitlement or hubris is rejected at its heart, humility submits to God and is grateful to God for life itself, lives life in solidarity with others, and has a determination to make life work in a manner that brings others along. It leaves no one behind and finds in everything and in everything and in everyone an opportunity to be grateful and thankful to God Almighty and to seek the interest of the greater good. Even where humility may assert itself and demand its right and make demands to have its way, humility is prepared to offer the benefit of the doubt and to go the way of patience. It is never vengeful or spiteful or bitter. Humility gives the community its best chance of succeeding and the humble will outlast everyone else in the end, will be vindicated. And as it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Here are three things that ought to be in our attitudes um, that determines our altitude. The first is knowing that the grace of life is living when we have the most, or we think we have achieved the most to live like those who are at the least who are the least and who have the least 
the attitude of those who can only merely eke out an existence and have nothing else to bargain with except that claim that they are human beings. That ought to be our attitude. Even when we are celebrated and we have much of this world's goods and we are in positions to dominate others, we must conduct ourselves with a selflessness and with a warm disposition so that our humanity shines through. Never let power or money or position get to our head. We are people first and last. Live like the poor when you are rich and live like the powerless when you are powerful. This is how Jesus lived amongst us. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty may be rich. This is the way to bring down the social barriers that divide people. This is how to see the value in people rather than in things. This is how to restore the balance of proper priorities to our nations and to our community. Let us learn to live simply and humbly, no matter what, so that in our space, in our human community, people may begin again to flourish. The second thing is to recognize the trick of life by which we must not be fooled. It is that you believe that when you are the most and when you have the most and when you have achieved the most, that's when you are the most. Things do not make persons who they are. Positions and achievement do not make a person who they are, but they can reveal who you are. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possession. You are who you are on the inside, who your character say you are. It is your inner motivation and your inner disposition that determine who you are. I read somewhere that many people spend their lives climbing up the ladder of success only to find that their ladder is resting on the wrong wall. What they are most proud of and what they boast about is not worth having after all. The preacher in Ecclesiastes says, fear God and keep his commandment for this is the whole duty of a human being. Nowadays, pursuing wealth and pleasure are not just everything. They are the only thing that people want to spend their lives on. There is a silliness and there is aggression that have come to characterize so much of our life in community. And everybody is trying to get in on the game. Our words are full of abuse and insults and vitriol and our deeds are cruel and violent. Everybody wants to be big and bad. And this is making our spaces ugly indeed. We are fooling ourselves. This is what, this is no way to live. The vanity and cruelty are destroying what is beautiful about us and among us. Humility calls for us to become gentle and comely, to build up our store of gratefulness and our store of patience with each other and with our own circumstances. We must give up the desire 
to dominate others and to beat them into the ground or to humiliate and embarrass others. It is not good and it is not good for us. We are not at our best when we have the most or have achieved the most, but when a beauty shines from within us so that we enrich the lives of others. That is when we are at our best. The third thing is that we learn that there is a danger in life which will prove us which will prove to be life's undoing and it is when we believe that if we see no one greater than ourselves and no one to whom we are accountable it means that there is no one in nebuchadnezzar's vision he hears a voice from heaven he sees himself as a big tree touching the heavens whose fruit were abundant and which could be seen from everywhere in whose branches the animals and birds found shelter. And the voice from heaven shouts at the height of the king's power, cut it down. If only we knew that there, if we are a big tree, there is a small axe somewhere, as Bob Marley puts it, ready to cut you down. The idea of unaccountable power that can do whatever it wants and to whomever it wants is a myth. It may be that way for a time, but it will come to an end and the end will be sudden and without remedy. Pride comes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Many years ago, I was a talk show host and I got to the radio station only just in time to collect the file and enter the studio. This was my practice every time I got there. And one day when I got there, the door was closed and my producer had left me a note on the door which read, the people you pass on the way up, you will pass on the way down. I have never forgotten the lesson of that morning. Hold people in high regard. Take time to notice them. Those who have or those who have achieved have a duty to hold themselves accountable to the highest ideals and the finest principles, to be governed by ethical rules. They do so whether or not it is apparent that anyone can stop them or make them. There is someone sitting high and looking low, beholding the evil and, and the good. We may not see that one or even think we have to reckon with that one, but we will. God is the one who blesses with wealth and with power. And in God's time comes to call us to account. There is a legend in the book of Isaiah about Lucifer. And another about the king of Tyre in the book of Ezekiel. And some said it is about the fall of Satan from heaven. What it is is a treatment about the danger of pride. Pride is personified. Both his words and his faith are captured in this poem. Listen, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend to the top of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead to the depths of the pit. Those who, you, who, who see you stare at you, they ponder your faith. 
Is this the man who shook the earth and made kingdoms tremble? The man who made the world a wilderness, who overthrew its cities and would not let its captive go home? In the end, by portraying the proud, it ends by portraying the proud as one, as the proud one as an unburied corpse. We must hold ourselves accountable to reject pride and walk humbly. We must hold ourselves accountable never to think of ourselves in ultimate terms as if we are God and no one can hold us to account. We must hold ourselves accountable for how we treat people. We must be grateful. We must be patient. We must be humble. The dangers of life We must be grateful, we must be patient, we must be humble. Amen.